0: Hello there, my name is Terry, and I'm the guy who runs this podcast, the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with a writer for animation, and his name is James Walsh. James is currently living and working out of Scotland and is part of the freelance writing team for the super smash hit preschool show, Hey Dougie, which airs on the BBC in the UK and Nick Jr. in the US, plus it has nearly 1 billion views on YouTube. James began writing for children's TV animation back in 2015 and has also since worked as a development writer, helping studios shape their series ideas and create killer pitch Bibles. So if you are involved in any sort of the process of writing TV show episodes or want to, this is an excellent listen since James gets into the nitty gritty of what makes a successful story for TV. So let's jump right into the chat. Hello there, James. Thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very good. Thanks for, thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to chat because I've never had a writer specifically on the podcast. I've had people who worked as showrunners and storyboard artists and things like that, which kind of touch on the writing side, but I've never had somebody who's just a writer. So from your perspective, how is writing tied into animation?
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty integral. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's animation is a, is a means of telling a story, um, okay. and you can't tell a story in any way without writing it. Somehow, even if it's, you know, even if it's physical, completely physical, silent, you know, a silent story, it's still, you know, you're still writing it. You're still you're still creating characters and, and and trying to evoke emotion and reactions from an audience. And that's and that's what writing is. So for me, it's like it's not so much about dialogue and words on a page as it is about actually kind of building a story and and, and building characters, you know.
0: So um, are you when you talk about writing, are you talking about like writing specifically for animation is like its own thing or just storytelling in general for anything, I guess?
1: I mean I guess it I guess it depends how much you boil it down because fundamentally, whether you're writing for say like live action, whether it's features or television, whether you're writing, you know, short stories or, or epic novels, like you're still using the same fundamental principles of, of storytelling. And I think when you when you ask about say what like what is writing for animation A lot of that comes down to like kind of very, very small elements about how, you know, how do we write action differently for say animation versus live action. And and obviously like writing scripts is a different practice to writing, to writing fiction or prose. Like there are, there are those, those elements when you, if I say I'm a writer for animation, I don't, that doesn't mean I only write animation or that the, the stories I'm writing for animation are necessarily like couldn't be told in another medium necessarily the way I write them is suited to, you know, the characters could be in anything the the stories quite often could be, could be told in loads of different ways, but the way I write within a script, and it's, it's more that writing for animation makes me think about how I'm writing in the first place and what I'm focusing on and what I'm, the kind of jokes I'm telling and how I'm making it visual and how I'm making it like exciting and, and expansive and, um, and using those things that animation can do that you can't do with other things, you know? The way that you can use certain characters, the way that you can use physical comedy that you can only really do in animation that you can't do elsewhere.
0: Um, so, so that makes sense. So y- from your view, I guess you can niche yourself in only writing for animation because it is very different than other mediums, I guess.
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. There are there are there are people there are lots of writers in animation here in the UK um, and I'm assuming like all over the world who who specialize in doing that thing because that's You know, they've they've grown up. A lot of a lot of people you meet in animation are obsessive about animation, about you know the 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 history of it and the creators of it and the kind of icons of that genre. So it's a it's a medium that allows you to do very specific things. And if those are the kinds of stories you like to tell, then that's what you're going to want to write. And yeah, you absolutely can you can niche in it. It's not something where I think. You would, you would take any writer for animation and be like, yeah, you could write anything else. That's not necessarily the case at all. Like Some people are much better suited to writing for animation because that's where, that's where their taste, their sensibilities, their mindset kind of goes, and that's where the stories they want to tell are kind of sit better, you know? Gotcha.
0: So I guess just to be clear, you are primarily a writer. You, do you animate as well, or do you storyboard, or do you get involved in any other aspects of animation, or just writing?
1: No I don't I'm just a writer so I um, yeah I, I, I write scripts and I develop series ideas from kind of concept through to like kind of pitch bible and, and series bible level um, but I don't even really I, I don't I can I like to draw I love art obviously I'm interested in, um, in in visual arts because it's it's why I've ended up I think writing for animation because I'm drawn to those kinds of stories but I'm not a good enough artist myself to be able to do that work. I'm not good enough as an artist to storyboards or do character design um, or to animate. So now I'm, I'm a, I'm a script writer. That's my, that's my job.
0: Nice. Um, so uh, something I, I, guess I think there's maybe a little bit mi- misconception around is uh, back when I had my business job and I was like hiring writers, a lot of people say they love to write or they love writing and that is, I'd say much bigger than the actual people who are good at writing and I actually found it really tough to find somebody who's really good at writing to work with so from your uh experience and work what is what is like a good what makes a good writer
1: I mean that's a that's like that's a tough that's a tough question to ask because it's quite it's a combination of lots of things I think I think I think I think writing for, you know, writing for animation and writing for, writing for television, especially, I think because writing has always been one of those things and whether it's within film or television or say even like copywriting for advertising, you know, because it's because it's words on a page because it's essentially a a free thing to be able to learn to be able to do and you learn to you learn to write words down from a very young age you know no one's taught to animate from the age of three or four years old but you are taught how to write sentences and stories at school when you're very very young so people kind of grow up with this this inherent feeling of like yeah i can you know i can write because i can i can write sentences in an order and how how hard can it be but um I don't think it's necessarily about whether people can write, but like you say, it's whether or not people can write well. And that is something that takes a lot of, I think to be able to be a good script writer, especially takes, for me, the fundamental skill of a good writer is understanding character is the first thing. So really understanding kind of how to build characters, how, what makes characters interesting. And that comes down to kind of, you know, those elements of storytelling, like, conflict and um, understanding kind of external motivation and internal motivation and and how to, how to find out what's interesting within a character's personality and their drive and what they want. Um, So you've got to be able to harness that. And I think another thing is, is understanding how to create drama. So how to manipulate the elements of a story, whether, you know, be that character setting um, and plot in order to, in order to really like build your story into a, into a satisfying, climax and understanding how to go from setting up a story all the way through to delivering on a like a, a you know a nice poignant closing but still going through that kind of typical three act structure if that's which is what you know the majority of stories use and that's where I think people who like writing struggle to get beyond that that first stage of like oh I'm telling the story and I really like it and I'm really interested in the characters and not entirely sure how to make this gripping and how to make it kind of compulsive and how to make it um how to make that structure kind of clean and clear and how to move it along at a pace rather than just kind of going off on a a kind of flight of fancy and it's the difference between kind of i always think of it as a difference between kind of fan fiction and the real thing yeah it's it's you can there are a lot of people out there writing stories about game of thrones and star wars that aren't very good they love that story they love writing those stories but they're nothing compared to that real thing. And it takes a good writer to write that real thing in the first place, you know.
0: Gotcha, so uh, uh, good writing comes from building up characters and creating drama and something that's gripping to read. And how do you, well, maybe we can talk about this later. I was gonna ask you, how do you develop that specific skill or how do you know when you're like, hey, I love writing, now I need to take it to the next level and, and where does that come from? But maybe we can just kind of flesh that out in your journey for your career itself.
1: Um uh, yes. <laughs> mine as no. well.
0: My well my
1: journey like my career is quite a good example of how I think I was one of those people quite early on in my career who thought, you know, oh, I've got this, like I know this, this is fine. Like I've watched I've watched films and I've watched television my whole life. Like I I first so I, I started watching movies at a very young age and, and my dad works in the film industry. Um so I spent a lot of time when I was a kid. Um in his office he's a film editor and he used to work on kind of physical film um, so he used to edit movies using celluloid using um, like a steam a really old kind of film projector that you'd be able to look through a little kind of monitor um, and when when he was editing movies he would leave rolls of film like the cuts that he was making hanging on a bin what, what you know it's not a kind of I mean, it's kind of literal trash can but it's essentially made of cloth and it had little hooks above it um, and I would climb in the bin and I look through these little strips of film and see how each frame was building into one another. And I would be able to see how characters moved. And I would then start to kind of think about how I like to join them up. And I was this was when I was about kind of six, seven years old. Um, and I was like obsessed with watching films from a really early age. They took me to see everything they could. I remember I think my first time going to a movie was going to see Animal Farm when I was about five Oh, the wow. are it's is a harrowing, really scary film to go through. Yeah. And like five years um, but I, and then I, so I grew up like adoring movies and adoring animation, and kind of you know funneling through my Disney VHS tapes. I think I had like four copies of Aladdin because I burnt through them so many times when I was little. My mom just had to keep buying me new copies of that VHS. Oh, nice. um, what were so some of the I, films that you saw your dad working on? So he used to, he was mostly live action. Um, and when I was young, he was working on, he did a couple of kids, kind of live action kids films. They were a little bit dark for me when I was when I was that age. So he did a film called The Wolves of Willoughby Chase, which was quite young. His kind of breakthrough movie was, um, he edited Bridget Jones Diary when I was, I was quite, it was kind of old at that time. I think it was about, it was about 10, 10, maybe 11. And I kind of understood that it was a big deal. Um, I didn't really get the film for obvious reasons. Um, and then, and then he started moving into like bigger, bigger budget things and doing kind of um, more kind of like Hollywood style, big studio like tentpole films. Um, but all the way along, and I and I ended up studying film writing as a as an MA. And when I went into kind of, I was working with him for a bit, and then I went into this master's degree. I came out of this master's degree with this kind of quite drab, uh, long, boring feature film. Um, it was quite dreary. It's kind of very like low budget, grim drama about you know a girl by a canal, like looking sad and um, you know feeding feeding her dog. And it was like, kind of an hour and a half of that. It was it was very dry, was very very like you know gut wrenching stuff, but some like big like serious dramatic moments in it. And I came out of my master's degree and I thought, ah, cool, okay, now I'm you know now I'm a writer. Like I've written I've written a script now, so I'm a writer now. Um, and it took me about six or seven years of trying to write feature films and I did that classic thing of I want to write movies so I'm just going to I'm just going to go and write movies um, and it's an incredibly kind of it's a very naive thing to think because it's it's a bit like coming out of uh, it's a bit like being interested in architecture and being like cool yeah I'm, I'm an architect like I'll build a skyscraper now but it's you have to you really do, and I and I really do believe this, like you, you really do have to try and find a way to, to to study and learn, not just necessarily like on a course, but 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 by writing things of different types and different scales and different sizes. And I really do recommend to writers to start out small, write short films, and, and it's what's really good about writing T V animation is that I'm writing short scripts now. But for a long time I was writing two hour long feature scripts and trying to sell them to people and i didn't really know my craft at that point i wasn't i didn't know how to rewrite my work very well i was i was good at kind of building stories but when it came to the nitty-gritty of actually writing and rewriting and editing um i struggled with that and i would leap into scripts before i'd done a proper outline um so it took me a long time to kind of get that to make those mistakes and fail and learn from those and learn from those failures a bit
0: so oh sorry
1: Um, yeah no What I would say to to writers is if you're going to develop your writing skills, the best way to do them is to be kind of humble about it and recognize that you're probably not very good when you start out and that you need to try and find ways to learn in any way possible. And that's by watching as many films as you can, reading as many scripts as you can, writing as many scripts as you can, and not thinking that like the first draft of anything you do is really going to be any good. Um,
0: So so you basically grew up seeing your father edit films, which you would then later on, you know, uh, write for. So you had like very early exposure to somebody who had already honed their craft. And then you went and got a master's in script writing yeah. and then you spent seven years script writing. So yeah. so from my point of view, I'd say you have a pretty good foundation of, you know, experience and and knowing what to do. What was what was that thing? What, when did it like click for you? that you weren't doing it, I don't know, successfully, or the way that it should be done?
1: Um, The biggest biggest shock for me, I think, I was about five years, so about five years after I graduated from my master's degree, I had written, I think, two or three um, feature spec screenplays, um, and a couple of them were good enough to get a little bit of interest from people across in, in the U.S., so A director and a manager over there had like asked to read my stuff and were interested in kind of working with me i didn't have really i didn't have an awful lot of again i was quite naive about how how movies got made how much time you would i was likely to spend working with people that never realistically had any plan to make a film with me but were just kind of hoping that i would do a lot of work for them and then hand them a great script that they could go and sell and get a project off the ground um and it was when I I actually got um, an agent off the back of one of my scripts and I got represented by a big agency uh, in the UK and I had a really, really great agent um, and I was so excited. And I thought, as I think a lot of writers do at, at, at an early stage in their career, I thought getting an agent was was basically it. Like that was the start of my career. And from then on, my agent would find me work and I would just have to write and loads of people, you know. All those my scripts would just be flying out to producers and directors all over the place and everyone would be really ex- as excited in me as my agent was and that was it. And that'd be fine. Um, and it just, and it, and it wasn't the case and it isn't the case for anyone. Like you have to, you still, it doesn't change an awful lot other than when you do get a chance to work with somebody, your agent will be able to negotiate you a better deal on the off chance that you're offered a deal in the first place, which is quite rare. So I had a, I had this kind of weird moment of suddenly realizing that the thing that I thought was probably going to launch my career to where I wanted it to be wasn't going to do that. Um, and at the same time, a script that I've been working on for a while came back from some people, and the notes were. It was I thought it was the best thing I'd ever written, and the notes I got back were, "It's it's a good try," which is which is not an easy note to get. Um, and your but but the protagonists isn't great um your antagonist probably needs a bit of work as well um and the world needs needs working on so i was like okay so so the world the antagonist and the protagonist so everything. That's, the thing. that's everything that's pretty cool um, <laughs> it, it was it, i mean it obviously it was like it came to me through my agent so i, I got i was given those notes in a kind of very soft you know a, a very soft gloves kind of way and he said you know this is good like these are some really cool studios that have read this work and 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 they they wanna they wanna read your next draft, I think. And I, I think he was saying that politely when they weren't really that interested in it. Um but that but after that, at that point I kind of that was the first time I got a kind of proper writer's I wouldn't call it writer's block because I did it didn't feel like I was trying to write. I just kind of I went into this weird lockdown where I just went, oh wow, this is like this is I didn't realize that the that the mountain was this steep yeah. <laughs> and that it's gonna be this hard to climb. Um, and so uh, for about six months, I kind of pretended to work on the script when really I was just going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Um, and, then, and then it wasn't long after that, that actually like me and my agent, I realized that like I was not in a position to, to probably have that agent at that time. And it wasn't long after that, luckily that I, that I moved into animation. Otherwise I kind of am not sure where I'd be right now. I don't know if I would have carried on writing feature films. Um, So what kept
0: you going that whole time, like seven years out of university and still trying to make it and not finding the success that you kind of dream for? What was that thing that you were pursuing?
1: I mean, again, I think like, I think naivety had a little bit to do with it. And I think it's, I think it can be really helpful and healthy when you're young to, to just go for it. Like you're at a stage where you're like, I'm doing this, like I'm going to write for a bit and you're 20, you know, I was in my twenties and I was just thinking, this is yeah this is fine like I can work a, I can work an evening job like I can work behind the bar in the evenings and I can do like little bits of weird weekend work and basically build build jobs around a 9 to 5 where I'm writing scripts and I'm feeling like a professional writer and then later on in my 20s I was like okay I've been doing this for 6 7 years now and you know and then I was getting married when I was 29 30 and life happens and it comes at you um, and that's when you start to think Oh, this is, this needs to be a career or I need to find a career. Um, and like I said, I was, I was kind of very lucky that a, I had people around me that were very supportive and, and helped me learn and helped me um, feel like able to try and be a writer without feeling like a weight of responsibility on myself. I didn't have basically, thankfully, because my dad is, works in the business and understands it. He wasn't at my back saying, you son you go out and get a proper job like which a lot of parents would have done after a while um he was he was super supportive about it and um as was yeah as was my wife and everybody else around me so I was really lucky there and I kind of was naive for a while and when it did hit and when I did get to a stage where I thought oh I'm not sure if I can I'm not sure if this is going the way I want it to go that was when I got a, a couple of really really good like lucky breaks at the right time and just got those little bits of work that 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 took me forward and um and I by no means did I suddenly rock it into being like a a very you know a, a, what was what you'd even call like a successful writer it was just little bits of work here and there gotcha
0: well yeah. being being on this podcast means you're super successful so <laughs> you know
1: <what> I mean? <laughs> um, but
0: so um I'm just wondering you can get a master's in screenwriting how or script writing how typical is your journey versus your classmates do some of them go off to write for films right away or does everybody kind of experience this same hard awakening to the industry
1: this this might sound kind of like cold and ruthless i have no idea i have no i have no idea what the rest of my classmates did um i i went off and just kind of did my own thing i think you know, from what I've seen and social media is quite kind of good and bad for this, I guess, because you can you get the odd glimpse every now and again of, of what other people are doing that you haven't seen for, for like 10 years. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know if anyone on my courses has made it into a career. I know that it's whether you've done a course or not. It's like your odds are slim. I mean, in feature films, your odds are very, very, very slim. Um, and that's what I studied. I studied feature film screenwriting. So I didn't study they didn't teach me how to write for television. They didn't teach me how to write for animation or, you know, especially not kids' television. Um, we, were, we were looking at how to write films and that is like trying to, you know, that's like trying to become a professional, you know, NFL player or something. It's like, right. the odds are very, very short.
0: Well, how many feature films are made every year? So, like...
1: Actually, <laughs> zero the time. It's not like it's not getting, it's not getting easier, but it's a great time to get into other things. Like it's a really, really good time to get into animation and, and kids content because the streaming platforms are like uh, hoovering that stuff up at the moment. So it's a, you know,
0: yeah. yeah, for sure. So I know that one thing you didn't, we had talked about before that you didn't really share in your journey was that you actually worked with kids a lot through your, you know, side jobs. You were, um, yeah. yeah so that, um, that helped. I'm sure when it came to writing for kids animation, but if you could go back now, like knowing where you are now, would you have taken the script writing or would you have taken general writing or would you specialize in something different or, you know, was the uh, script writing perfect for this journey?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think like, I honestly think that, that with, with creative writing courses, it, it you know, you're kind of, you're, there's so much that that can't be guaranteed about it that you can you know it, it's a combination of the people who are on the course, the people who are teaching the course, um, and what happens to those people when they leave. There's kind of no, there isn't really. I'm not sure there's a course out there that is going to that is going to hurt you as a writer. Do you know what I mean? I would I would say if you have the chance, if you want to be a professional screenwriter and you have the chance to go and do a screenwriting course go and do a screenwriting course like it's great it's brilliant you get to hone your craft you get to come out of it with scripts you get to be around other writers it's a really really cool thing to do but if you can't go on a course or you or you didn't get on that screenwriting course that is not going to hinder you in in any way shape or form like it's not it's not a um it's not a necessity at all yeah and i and i think um what I wish I'd done was was start writing earlier. Was started writing when I was at university, um, when I was studying like English and theatre at university. I should have been I should have been writing then. We had a whole film school on campus, and I didn't I didn't use it, didn't didn't ever make the most of that time. And that's what I regret the most. I think my master's degree was a great great experience, and I did a lot of work on it. But I wish I'd started earlier, so I had you know made the most of all that spare time I had and the people that were around that could have helped me.
0: Well, there you go. If you want to become a writer, start writing yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's let's chat about how you actually got into animation. Um, how did you go from? You mentioned your break before. Maybe you can explain what that actually entailed.
1: So, I mean, I guess this, you know, it, it shows you that that even when you're even when you're writing things that even when you don't feel like the work you're doing is really getting any traction, always like writing new things ultimately I think is the most important thing you can do is, is writing new scripts and showing them to people because I got my break like three years after having worked with a producer on a feature film. So I was commissioned to, um, I can't remember when this was, this is probably about 2000 and like 11 or 12. I was about three or four years out of my master's degree, had a couple of these feature films under my belt. Uh, and a producer came to me to ask me to adapt a, classic kind of children's novel from the 70s um and they're these kind of um beautiful fantasy novels by a guy called Alan Garner um and was a British author and they were very weird and very strange but like really really lovely stories about young kids and jewels and witches and wizards and you know things like that so I did that work and I did it wasn't as well paid as it should have been it wasn't as well paid as it would have been if I was in America and I was say in the Writers Guild but uh, I got through three drafts of a script. I was getting notes back from an award-winning kind of producer and director on them. Um, so that was a really, really cool experience for me. And however many years down the line, it, 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 the project never got off the ground. I think the option or the rights to the book lapsed. So that script is now just like essentially a meaningless thing that can't ever get made. I don't think what oh, yeah. uh, the, the, that same producer um, about three or four years after I did that work, um, called me out of the blue and said, I'm, I'm going on to do, to produce an animated series here in the, in England. Um, and he was working on a series called um, Dennis and Nasher Unleashed. And it's a kind of, um, it was an animated series aimed at six to tens. Um, and it was for the BBC and it was Dennis the Menace, um, which I think, you know, fairly most people around the world have kind of heard of Dennis the Menace, maybe not like don't know that character and, and the comic strip that he came from, um, which is called The Beano, which is like a proper heritage comic here in, the, here in the UK. It's something that, you know, most kids have read, you know, have picked up off the shelves in their local shop um, and read that comic. And Dennis is this brilliant, like, uh, naughty character that you just love reading when you're a kid because he, he gets to do all the stuff that you don't get to do. Um, and they were making the, they were making a new animated series of that. And so he was looking for a kind of fresh talent that he could bring to the table into the writer's room. Um, and he asked me to do it. And I went through the process of, of essentially, I guess I guess you'd call it like applying for the job in a way, I, you know, I had a writing CV that was the, the feature films I'd done, but I hadn't written for animation and I hadn't written for children at that point. Um, and I hadn't written for television either. So I didn't really take any of the boxes apart from I could write. Um, and they asked me to do a sample episode and I did that and they liked it. And they invited me into the writer's room. Um, so this- I did it unpaid because it felt like a shot at something. Um, and it was a cool show that I, and I knew the characters. Um, and then I went, yeah, and then I went and, and that was my first, that was my first job in, in animation and in kids television. And that was in God, that was like 2013, 14, yeah. Four or five years ago. Uh,
0: I think it's quite random that somebody you worked with three years prior just happened to like working with you and then it paid off, but how did this producer get in touch with you in the first place because you said he reached out to you. Did he? Did you send him something? Did he hear through the grapevine that you were looking
1: for work? It was. It was a shared. It was like a shared connection um, through a friend of a friend. I mean, it was like it's so weird. It's like six degrees of separation. I don't really know how to trace back where I first met him. Um, but a, 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 a script I'd written. I think the, the script I wrote when I left my master's degree which was a kind of pulpy uh, US, like B-movie horror script, um, he'd read that. <laughs> and that yeah, so that, I think that had gotten into the hands of him through a friend of a friend, and then we'd spoken about something then, and then two years later, he'd got in touch again. I mean, it's, this is this is kind of, I think, especially in Hollywood, this is definitely how it works in features, where people just, they take, the, you know, it's, it's, it's this completely random thing where you're, you're on someone's radar and you don't really even realize. Um, And I think it really shows the importance of, like I said, like writing scripts and sending them to people and getting your work in front of people because you really never know who's going to read something and like it, and you don't know how long it's going to be before they might get in touch with you. You know.
0: So what is what is showing it to people and sending it out actually mean? Like, how do I? So I've written something Mm -hmm. and I've mustered up the confidence where I'm like, I want to show this to somebody else.
1: Yeah. Where
0: do I? What do I do? What do I start?
1: (laughs) Um. So. obviously it it depends on what it is and so if it's a feature film you would i mean there's no rules and that's what's really frustrating and that's what's really scary i think is that there's no there's no like set process to go through um some producers accept scripts some like from from writers they don't know. Some don't. Some agents accept scripts from writers they don't know. Some don't. Same for directors, actors. Like, I think, I think a big part of it, and I know we'll, we'll probably get onto this later, is is networking. And and whether it's like hard networking where you're going to events and you're shaking everyone's hand and you're saying hi, I'm a writer. This is you know this is where I'm from. This is what I do. Nowadays, I think obviously, you you have a website and you can network on, on online on places like Twitter and LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's about just introducing yourself to people, saying, I've written this script. I'd love you to read it. Are you willing to do that? And sometimes they will not reply at all. Sometimes they'll reply and say, I'm really sorry, I'm too busy, or I'm sorry, I don't I don't accept scripts from unsolicited writers. So solicited and unsolicited is a word that you'll hear a lot, where if, if, if people say we don't accept scripts from unsolicited scripts, that means unless you've been given permission to send them something, which is normally through an agent or a production company, they don't want to read anything. Um, and that's that's completely understandable for a lot of people because their reading piles are enormous or they're just, it's too risky, legally speaking, that if someone just sends them a random script and it's like something they've made or they're making, they can get, you know, there's 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 a risk, a lot of producers don't want to run that risk of like, I don't want you coming back and saying, I sent you this script, it's really similar to that film you made, so you must have copied my work. Um, so, yeah, you you know, you just have to you have to do the kind of the nitty gritty work of emailing people whose work you like or um, or who you've been talking to already online and just saying and asking and being polite about it. And what's lovely is that you can ask like it's not a it's not like a big golden gate that you need a magic ticket to get into. Like you just you can ask. And if your work is good and you've got enough work to show people. And I would always say that, like one thing most of the time one script isn't enough. You normally need more than one sample um, depending on you know your relationship with someone. So send them a script and be ready for them to say this is great but you know I'm not that interested or I don't want to you know if it's an agent they might say this is really cool but you know I'm I'm full and I don't want to take you on right now that's fine. And the same goes for producers they might say this is not my thing or I'm too busy. Um, But you keep doing it and you keep sending right and it's like you, you you have to keep i don't want to say it's a lottery but you kind of have to keep buying that ticket you have to make your own luck essentially it's it's what it's about like it's it is about luck it is about timing but you have to make that luck by writing and approaching people as often as you as you feel like you can without it becoming just exhausting and demoralizing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, what you just said <clears throat> reminds me of when I was at a, a marketing conference and Mark Hamill was a guest speaker of all people for a marketing conference. And one of the questions was, "How did you land your role on Star Wars?" And he was like, uh, "The acting career, your acting career is like a big like roulette wheel, and you just have to keep spinning it and spinning it and spinning it. And maybe, hopefully, you'll eventually hit gold. But if you don't spin it, you don't hit anything." So he was like, "I just kept spinning and spinning and spinning, and finally something paid off," which sounds similar to what. You were doing as well, because it. Yeah, cause I mean, I think, are you I think, are you yeah, part no, of a a writing association as well? Is that is that a like? A thing? No, not
1: over here. It's not. We don't. We don't have a. We don't really have the same um, the same infrastructure for writers over here that they have in in the U.S. I know that the that the Writers Guild in the U.S. is a really really strong great union that really represents writers well, and they have a lot of like support groups and a lot of a lot of writing communities there that that doesn't really exist here and and i'm actually in a i'm not even in london in the uk so i live in i live in the north of i live in the south of scotland Um, and and our writing community here is even smaller especially screenwriting Um, there's very few kind of established script writers in scotland Um, there are some brilliant writers and brilliant directors up here but it's you know it's it's a smaller country with a smaller population so we don't we don't have the same the same infrastructure so a lot of it is about finding a community online and, and I think when you work on, you know, when you do get those that, that first job, a lot of, the, in the animation industry especially in the UK, people are very aware of taking new writers and bringing them into the fold because it's, it's, it is a business where who you know is very, very important, here especially, because that's how you get onto writing teams when the same head writer takes you onto those teams. Um, and that's how you, that's how you start to get established and that's how you start to get more credits and that's how you then start to get more work or you do get that agent that can get you more work. And yeah, so much of that is about getting into the room in the first place, being a person in the room that people want to keep talking to and want to stay in touch with and then just building those relationships. And I think it, it, I think it goes in waves where you get generations. You know, a lot of the people who are head writers now have been, have been writing for the same amount of time and have worked on shows together for a long time. And we're cutting their teeth at the same time. And there's a generation of us now who are kind of in our like, you know, early to mid thirties who are, who are kind of coming up and through at the same time. And hopefully will be the same, That will be that wave. And, and it's important to kind of, to relate to and know and not feel like people of your same similar generation are, our competitors, that you're actually all working towards a similar sort of goal. Um, and even though we don't have kind of functioning um, guilds in the same way, it's, it provides a similar function, I think, that we kind of do it independently gotcha. and hang out together and keep in touch, you know.
0: Sounds like it takes a lot of perseverance to really get into this career. I'm wondering if you can chat through how you made the jump into Hey Dougie then
1: uh so hey dougie oh this is another good example of yeah like you say perseverance i um so hey dougie is is a kind of very has a very big cult following here and i don't say cult in like it's a small show that no one knows like it's a big big hit. it's for kids kids in a cult <laughs> yeah it's essentially he is like a cult leader um dougie and uh but it's 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 a show that like parents talk about because it's a show for preschool children. So children of like four years old, that, that is like immediately entertaining for grown-ups. in a kind of very cutesy. It's got lots of kind of cultural references in it. It's got a great soundtrack. It looks gorgeous. The jokes are funny. The physical comedy is funny. It doesn't kind of, it has this funny balance of not talking down to kids, but also not, it doesn't, it doesn't babify anything, but it doesn't, it still talks to kids on their level and in their language. Um, and I went out. So when my son was born about just almost four years ago now, um, we started watching Hey Doggy when he was quite young. And I was writing Dennis. I was writing on Dennis and Nasher at that stage. And I went, right, I need another show. Like, I want to keep doing this, but no one's going to give me this work just willy nilly. I need to go out and find these jobs. Um, and in order to do that, I need to find out who's making those, these shows I like, and then I need to write to them and ask them if I can write for them. And that's essentially here anyway, how it works, which is really strange. Like it doesn't feel like that's how it should work, (laughs) but it is. And with Hey Dougie, I, I emailed the creator of the show who is still basically directing most of the episodes and is the like big driving force behind it. He's a guy called Grant Orchard and I emailed him and I said, I love this show. My son loves this show. These are the episodes that I think that are my favourite, that I really connect with. This is why I like them. Um, and look, I'm a, I'm a writer just getting started in my career. If you ever need writers on Hey Dougie, I'd love to be considered for it. Um, let me know. And, and I'm always happy to send a script or a sample. You know, something in those words. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of being quite conversational about it, but it was pretty much that kind of tone. Um, and... He didn't get back to me for a bit. So I chased him up and I said, hi, did you get my email? And he said, yes, I did get your email. Thank you so much. Like, I'm so glad you liked those episodes. I really like those episodes as well. And funny, you should ask, we actually are looking for writers right now. Why don't I put you in touch with our producer? And he did. And she put me in touch with the, with the head writer and she gave me a couple of little writing tests to do. And after I'd done those that like I'd gone through a couple of very, very small, much less than I did on the first show. Um, when I went through those, they said, okay, we're going to give you an episode to do. And then I was on the writing team for Hey Dougie. And that happened in the space of about a month. Oh, wow. And that's, that's kismet right there. <laughs> it was the coolest thing that had ever happened to me. Um, it was way, it felt way cooler than, than getting commissioned to write, you know, even a draft of a feature film, because I knew how, how much of a kind of random pie in the sky, like dream. Getting any feature film off the ground is even if you get paid to write the script, you're still a million miles from the finish line. But getting commissioned to write an episode of a television show that I knew people liked, I knew that my name would be on a credit, of, uh, like on an episode of that show. Um, and so that was yeah, that was a big, that was a big that's a big, that's like been the highlight of my career so far. I think that first episode of Hey Dougie.
0: I really like the email that you sent. It you know like most, I think most people when they're applying for jobs, they wait until something is posted or they kind of like timidly write something like hey do you have any openings like get in touch with me but instead you just you're just like hey I love this show I watch it with my son I love these specific episodes you know I'm a writer I'd love to work with you if you ever have the opportunity I feel like something like that stands out a little bit more than and the fact that you wrote the creator as well than you know hitting up the average HR person to say is anything going on right now
1: <laughs> Yeah I mean it's I you know I'm I'm coming at it from a point of view of I mean my, all of my experiences in the is in the UK so I'm I'm very aware that the the animation industry in the UK is a lot smaller and a lot more independent than it is in the US um it would be very different I think probably Writing, try, you know, writing an email to Disney or Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. I mean, I don't know. I don't think it should be. And I don't. And I think that what's lovely about shows is that the people who create them tend to stay involved. And um, head writers on on shows, you know, the, the head writers on shows and, and the kind of um, the showrunners that I've that I've met and I've spoken to who do work in the US are all lovely people. Um, and I don't think they would blink twice at getting an email from someone like me. Um, I think with Dougie, it's a really, it's a great story. I think fundamentally at the heart of it, it was, it was really good timing. Like the fact mm-hmm. that they had, the fact that they needed a writer at that point was, was probably very fortunate. Um, and I've written to a lot of other head writers, and I've written to a lot of other development execs and I've written to a lot of other producers saying exactly the same thing taking exactly the same approach and not getting work right? And because there's not, a, there's not any episodes on the series that they're working on. They've they're fully staffed or they they're already at the end of the production cycle or they're waiting for financing or whatever the reasons are like the 99% of the time that email has, has not resulted in me getting work, but that person knows who I am. They know that I'm nice. They know that I like the show. And if I write them another email in six months time, something might've changed or yeah. it might've changed six months after that or six months after that, you know, it's been, it's been two or three years now. And like, I'm getting, I'm getting more work, but it's not like, there's no, like I said, there's no formula to it. There's no, there's no magic fix. There's no magic email. There's no magic yeah. plate. Um, you just have to, like I said, like, Keep, keep trying and keep talking to people and and think of networking and think of that that process of approaching people as something that is like built into your job. Like that's not something you do when you've got time. Like yeah. that should be something you build in to do every week. <laughs> write to someone, write to someone. If you can write to someone new, say five people new every week, do that. Because you'll feel like you're moving forward, you'll feel like you're making progress or you're at least like trying. But if you send off like one email and you sit and you wait, that's not, you're just gonna start to feel like nothing's going for you. But if you keep making new approaches and you keep writing new things, that keeps you going. Um, And before you know it, people start to get back to you. And it does take time and it does take patience, I think is a really important value to have as a writer, like patience, whether you're a working writer or not, like patience in the script process, Patience in the networking, patience just with your own brain and creativity. It takes, a, it takes a lot of patience all the time.
0: I had, when I was first starting out after school, I had this uh, first, first schooling I did. I had this naivety as well that, you know, once I start putting myself out in the world, the world's going to reciprocate. I'm going to get offers. I'm going to get hired, et cetera, et cetera. But no, it's exactly like you said, where 99% of the time you hear nothing and you got to keep, you know, you said buying that ticket or spinning that wheel. But it's also easy to, like, I would, I was, like, obsessed with reading, like, Wikipedia, like, article or profiles on, like, people I thought were great and famous. And it was like, did this, 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 and got their big break. But, you know, you don't, you don't hear about all the hard work it takes and how one exactly. thing three years later maybe paid off for you. Because it's very easy to look back after the fact and say, oh, that's why he was successful.
1: Um, I, remember really, I remember really, really distinctly reading a story. In the newspaper, and it was about a British writer who had sent a script to Steven Spielberg, and he had got a call in the middle of the night, like one in the morning, and it was like, "Hey, it's Steven," and that was <laughs> the crux of the story, right? And it was, and this story was pitched in the style of British writer gets big break, you know, writes script, sends it to Spielberg, gonna be a gonna be a motion picture in two years time, and like. Six or seven paragraphs down this article, it said in one line, like so and so has been writing for 15 years in some capacity, and I was like, right, there we go. <laughs> so he's been he spent 15 years learning how to be a writer and and building his craft and learning his craft and and building himself a a, a body of work. Like shit doesn't happen like a fairy tale. It just isn't. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and I think sometimes it's. It's quite easy to get sold that that dream, I think, and um, and, and the reality is that actually it's it, it is about like hard work and perseverance and patience, um, and I think that's a good thing because those are really important values that more people have than like some magical talent. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And then you feel grateful
0: when you do get uh, something. Um, I'm wondering if we can actually go into the process of what you do when you write for a kids show, like Hey Dougie. Like, can you explain? Yes from nothing existing to handing off the script like what is that for you who talks to you etc
1: so the person i deal with the most on hey dougie uh and it is the same with every show i've written on um and i assume it's the same worldwide is i deal with the head writer um and she would be called a showrunner in other in on other projects i guess it's fundamentally the same job it's her job to to handle all the writers, bring in, dish out episodes for writers to, to work on, bring in all of the outlines and scripts, and then get notes back from producers at the broadcaster and the, from the director and from producers, work those notes into a, into a format where she can give them back to us, we can work off them and send her new things. And the way it goes is, so it, on Hey Dougie, uh, we don't have a writer's room. So we don't have a we don't have a room that we go into and sit and generate ideas for episodes and then get assigned those episodes. Um, so you know it's it's quite unusual in that sense. I think even even here in the UK most shows have writers' days where all the writers get together, you pitch ideas back and forth, and you go around the room and and if you're pitching a good idea for an episode, everyone in the room will will kind of. Figure out the nuts and bolts of that episode so that it essentially you can boil it down to two or three lines or what we'd call a springboard. So that's the first that's the first term that you that you learn in the process is is the springboard. Um, and on most projects, you get that in a writer's room. On Hey Dougie, I'm sent that by by then, by the head writer um, and the director. They work on springboards themselves for episodes. They then send that spring. So I get two or three lines of a of a story. My first job when they commissioned me to write that episode, so what's, what's lovely about the show as well is that when they want me to write an episode, they just commission me to write that episode. They don't ask me to do any work free of charge before they commission that episode. They're confident that it's going to work. They've signed it off with the broadcaster already, and they send it straight to me, and I, is, st- and I get to work.
0: Is the free work typical of other shows?
1: um on some shows you will do a certain amount of work on say building a springboard into say like a one page outline so the process typically goes you go from a, in developing an episode of television you'd go from a, a springboard which is say two to three lines to maybe a half page but normally a full page of a4 so you take that story you develop it into the page of a4 then going to go from that page of a four into say three or four uh, still pro so you're not writing in screenplay format you're just writing in um you're just writing as, as you would in a normal like word document as if you're writing a short story um and then you might grow that again into something bigger if it's a show that's got a lot of detail or the episodes are quite long say 11 minutes or 20 minute long episodes um and then when you've, when you've finished the outlining phase, when you've gone from say like a springboard to say a one page outline to what we'd call a treatment, which is the kind of four, five, six page story outline, then you would go into your first draft and you would typically do, I'd say two drafts of the screenplay and then a polish at the end, which is just a very you know last few lines and details. Um, and so on Hey Dougie, I don't have to do any work, I'm given the springboard and I know that I'm gonna see that episode through to the end and I'm and I'm getting paid to start at the beginning and then I get paid again. Well, I think when I get to like script stage and I get another payment then, but on other shows, especially with ones with writers rooms, there is sometimes an element where you leave with your springboard and the, and the head writer might have said, okay, I like this, um, Can you can you write this up into a one page outline? You'll go away, you'll write that up, you'll send that back and they might say, Okay, can you? Okay, we're not sure this story works that way. What about this? What about this? Can you? You know, it's not this character doesn't have enough an emotional arc, or can we can we raise the stakes a bit more? You'll go away. You'll do a bit more work on that. And obviously, it's different from show to show. I, every writer kind of has their limits. I think in terms of how much work they're willing to do before they say, actually, like, I I can't do another draft of this without getting paid. Um, But typically, you know, you'd expect. I think even mo- most writers would do maybe like one, maybe two drafts of an initial like one-page outline, and then and then the head writer would would in that stage say, okay, this is good. We're gonna we're gonna take this. We're gonna commission this as a as a full episode now. Um, and then you and then you're in a contract. And then you sign the contract. And then you're you're doing the paid work from there on. You're still doing the same process. So you're still going from one page to say three or four to say six or seven and then and then draft. Um, but that's yeah that's the that's the process the whole way through really how long
0: does this actually take in time
1: well because you're because you spend a lot of time sitting and waiting for them to get back to you with notes i'd say the whole typically on hey dougie it can be anywhere between uh say like a month and three months of me just kind of sit but like if they're if they're in the middle of a production pipeline and saw the look on your face and you were like what um, well but... yeah
0: because aren't episodes made like on a regular schedule
1: <laughs> yes they are there's a there's a again like it's just quite it's quite like using using the show that i'm writing for as a difficult example because they do things quite differently and they know the director is like very heavily involved well, that's, in
0: that's fine because it's still a process
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's it tends to be the same i think and um it's, it depends where you are. Like if there's a rush on scripts and they're, and they're, and they're rushing to try and get through like a few more episodes at the end of a series, they might have a chance to like get through that process and get notes back to you quickly. If you're, if they are not in a rush, if their deadline, you know, if they're not due to, to, to send them off to the broadcaster anytime soon, they might take their time and they might allow, you know, they might they're for whatever reason, it might be, it might be slow to get back to you sometimes. Typically, Within within a writer's agreement, within a writer's contract, there are stipulations of like you've got four days to turn around an outline, and you've got ten days to turn around a first draft, and you've got another. You know, so there is kind of there is in there is tend to be in writing a stipulation of how long of how quickly you have to get each bit back to them, Um, and the same goes for them. It tends to be that you will get notes within three or four days of having sent us anything whether that happens in the real world <laughs> isn't always the case and obviously as a writer you have to be flexible and you have to be your own kind of agent sometimes and say okay this is like you're asking me to turn something around in two days and then you're taking three weeks to get back to me that's not okay um but it tends to be a natural kind of tit for tat and no one wants it to slow down to like a glacial pace
0: so how i'm just wondering if it takes maybe up to three months for one episode are they sending out multiple episodes to different writers and you're one of many
1: writers yes oh yes 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 there's okay no, so, there's, there's so they very, have
0: a steady stream of episodes coming in it's just oh, yeah. okay
1: yeah no sorry there's um on hey dougie i think i think we've got about seven or eight writers who are who are part of the kind of hey dougie writing team Uh, Some of those writers have written 15 episodes. Some of them are on their first. And there tends to be this kind of natural cycle where you get up to a certain number of episodes and then they just kind of release you into the wild. (laughs) They kind of go, your job here is done. You're free to eat. Um, uh, And yeah, and I'm I'm terrified of that day coming. I really don't want that day to happen. Um, But that's, I I, I feel I completely understand that. And I think there's a it's important for them to have fresh voices and fresh, ideas coming on and coming through because you can you can you can run out of gas on a on a certain series you know there's only so many times you can get your head into that space of writing for certain characters who have certain voices and and are in a certain world you know and, and tell those kinds of stories before you as a writer need to feel the need to go and do something new um yeah that makes sense but yeah and most and most shows are the same most shows will have a writing team of at least like five, six, seven writers. Wow. And then it's very, very young, like very, very young preschool shows. I'd say sometimes you see that those shows are written by one person the whole way through, um, but they might be writing like three minute episodes rather than 20, you know?
0: Right. How involved are you in the actual animation of a sh- Like I'm just picturing you sitting at home writing and then sending it through like email or whatever. Um, but I'm thinking, so you don't you don't actually touch any of the animation, or you're not even in contact with any of the animators or storyboarders or anything. That's no. a big no. So you mentioned before, like the physical comedy in Hey Dougie is great. How much involved are you with writing things for animation? Like, uh, I don't know, a side note, like I don't know, Dougie stretches into two feet tall legs or something like that in this part, or do you leave that up to the animator to determine?
1: No, not at all. We're 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 expected. To to do that, like we are, and I think this 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 applies to anyone who wants to write for animation. You are going to need to think of yourself not just as a writer, but also kind of as a director, um, because it's in animation more so than anywhere else. You you are able to direct on the page, and you're kind of expected to direct on the page a lot more um, because of the physical nature of it, because of the because of the process of animation, I guess. And you'll know more about this than me, probably. That because a lot of the time scripts go from me to a storyboard artist to somebody else to somebody else and when it goes through that that animation kind of pipeline someone is going to need to read my script and know exactly what where they're putting people on the screen so it's not the, the 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 director can't point six cameras at a character and say oh I'll just pick my angles when I'm when I'm done with this scene. On Dougie, I'm expected to say where characters enter from, how many characters we're seeing on screen at any one time, um, whether I'm using say like a close up or a mid shot or a wide shot, um, how I'm transitioning from shot to shot, are we tracking, are we panning? Like I'm, I'm oh, doing wow. all the things that you're kind of told not to do as a screenwriter. Most screenwriting books will tell you like, don't direct the camera like don't say pan here or or track here or move here like just tell us what we see and the director it's the director's job to interpret that the director is in charge of the of the visual of the visual style um but actually on, on hey dougie especially we are expected to to put our visual imprint on that script in a really in a really kind of heavy way um and i love it for that because it really like indulges my in a Spielberg.
0: So are you also when you're writing are you also like keeping a doodle of everything that's going on or like intensely visualizing it in your mind? It sounds like you kind of have to imagine the animation as it's happening and write it to you.
1: Yeah, it is. It's 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 about keeping it for me anyway. It's about keeping it in my in my mind's eye and being able to and really being able to kind of translate what I see in my head and actually a lot of this a lot of the notes that I did I got back on my first couple of episodes were very were visual notes of like we need to know like you know big red lines of like what is what is happening here like where are people going like it can't just be you know the 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 plane zooms off and and we and we got, well, we cut to here? Like it, it needs to be like okay, are we seeing the plane from behind or from the side or are we seeing it from above? And are we going inside or outside? Who's looking out the window? Like all that stuff. And and I've learned to be a lot more specific and kind of give myself permission to to indulge that side of myself. Um, and it is I think I think some people some people on Hey Dougie especially are both animators and writers. And I think that's a lot of the episodes that feel really unique in Hey Dougie are written by animators and the kind of people who animate and write together. Um, And you can tell because everything just feels very, like, very seamless and very visually. The narrative feels very visual rather than just the narrative being written and the visuals being there to support that. Um, So, yeah, it's brilliant. It's It's a really, really cool show to be able to do that on, actually.
0: So I'm I'm assuming you still watch the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> assuming you still watch the show, yeah. do you do you watch an episode and and like it comes out pretty exact to what you had written, or is you know there's still things that surprise you or things that change through that process?
1: There's curious. definitely there's definitely things that that you see that you didn't that aren't in the script. It's very rare that they were not You know one of the one of the joys of being in i think or a designer uh, a lot of the designers put incredible touches on them i think the first the first episode i wrote uh, was essentially a, a kind of <laughs> this is weird for a preschool show but it was essentially inspired by alien and uh, an outbreak and stranger things and predator and like really violent uh, movies from the from the 90s and the 80s um, uh, and i actually didn't i didn't think I didn't think of stranger things when I was when I was writing it I was thinking of predator and I was thinking of alien and things like that and essentially one of the characters gets infected by the by a, the world's smelliest cheese and runs and and manages to get out of this clubhouse where they're having their day their kind of fun day and so they have to chase him out into the jungle and try and track him down and he's leaving blue footprints everywhere and there's mist and smoke and like but I didn't see it as a stranger things episode until I saw it on the television and they had added this beautiful layer of like blue mist everywhere and they were using a very like synthy stranger things soundtrack and they were in yellow quarantine hazmat suits and i was like it's stranger things and it and it made total sense they hadn't changed a single ounce of the story it was just a, a a brilliant touch of design and it just linked the whole thing in together it was wicked and then you see everyone online you see all you see parents online going oh my god there's a stranger things episode of hey dougie this is mad and i'm just i'm going yeah that's me i think that
0: I love that you took your inspiration from very adult and even like horror themed things for kids. Cause when I think of preschool shows, I'm thinking, okay, like maybe kids like fart jokes or maybe kids like bright colors or, but you mentioned before, like toning it, like some, this show is not toning it down or dumbing it down for the audience. You're actually bringing in like themes from, I guess, different inspirational movies you've, you've grown up watching and, kind of recreating them for a preschool audience are there so are there other weird things you've taken inspiration for to bring into this kid's show
1: um okay so so the episodes i've I've done a i've done a i've done a a stranger things like spielberg-esque uh horror-ish thriller episode i've done a i've done an inner space type episode um where they 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 fly inside a body but in a kind of very magical like we're not at all flying inside a person kind of situation uh i've done an agatha christie kind of murder mystery style episode but the what the so the principles of what i'm using as inspiration is very much kind of tonal and visual so obviously no one's getting murdered in an episode of a preschool show and obviously no one is getting attacked by aliens there's there's no one's getting there's not really any true like horror elements but what we're really what's really fun about Hey Dougie um and I think I think a lot of I think you know a lot of great shows that are for kids over the years have done similar things. You know, the early Nickelodeon shows were really similar to this, like did not hold back on the kind of the, the kind of not gross but the but the the more the bolder visual choices, shall we say. And like the 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 jokes that can be gross but are also quite clever. Um And I think with Dougie, for example, the murder mystery episode, I took all of the visual, all the brilliant visual elements of an Agatha Christie story. So kind of like black and white flashbacks, um, fancy rich parties, people playing like nervous bits of piano um, and a a mystery to solve. And I used those fundamental elements and the kind of language and the pace of of an Agatha Christie story to create something that would still be really interesting and gripping for preschoolers um, and really funny and cute but familiar and recognizable to adults so it's you're kind of you're taking these these genre elements and you're using them as a kind of wink and a nod rather than an overt like we're doing a murder story for children you're very much going let's let's put these characters in like tuxedos and have them try and solve a problem next to a fireplace, basically with like tense music.
0: So it also kind it's, of sounds
1: uh, like you're, you're not <laughs>
0: trying to reinvent the wheel, you're taking formats that are already su- proven successful and you're applying them to the show. Do you think that is a good formula to follow?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's what everybody does, don't they? Like... I, I don't know, I'm asking you, you're the writer. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think I think yes, I do particularly. My 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 style. I'm really heavily influenced by cultural things and and, and pop culture. I'm not I'm not into uh, kind of comic book culture or, or superhero or kind of fantasy sci-fi culture in the way that. But I I have that same kind of uh, pop culture fan element about things like Jurassic Park and. Jaws and Back to the Future and Indiana Jones and like those big um adventure adventure adventure-based movies from the 90s that I like just wolfed down when I was a kid and so that is that is built kind of deep into my subconscious and I watch an awful lot of cartoons now um and I and I read a lot of comics as well so I read a lot of Calvin and Hobbes and Gary Larson um and I take a lot of I kind got of, a lot of tonal inspiration from that and Monty Python because and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton. Like it, it's, it comes from everywhere and you and you cherry pick. I think, you know, I think when you, when you sit down to write, it can be really helpful. And I think a lot of writers do this and it's, and it's not a shameful thing to do in the slightest is a lot of writers will sit down. And if they're writing a, a tense scene, they'll listen to tense music. And if they're writing something funny, they might sit and watch something. They might watch comedy for a little while. Um, I I I know a writer who likes to sit and watch old um, like silent movies from the 20s just to get just to get him in the mood for kind of jaunty slapstick comedy, and it makes total sense. Like you, we we absorb these things and they don't go anywhere. Um, so we might as well use them. Is my attitude? I'm like, don't. Why try to reinvent the wheel when you can use the things that are, that are already built into your psyche and and get there quicker? <laughs> like, right. I don't want to, you know. Um, I don't want to.
0: Uh, a thought popped into my head and I wanted to ask you it earlier. Can you just give an example of a springboard? Like those two sentences, what would they say that start an episode?
1: Um, okay, so for something like, hey, Dougie, I guess a springboard. So for my... I'll take the the first episode I did for them um, was again, like this character, one of the kids. So Dougie is about a dog and he has five young animals who go to, essentially it's like the scouts. So they go to, they go to like Dougie, they go to nursery every day or or, or kind of um, play school every day. And he teaches them things. They learn something every episode. So the springboard for my first episode was um, when, uh, when one of the, they're called the squirrels. When one of the squirrels, Touches the world's smelliest cheese. Um, Dougie and the other squirrels have to track Roly is the character track Roly down and clean him before to contain the outbreak, and that's what it was. Okay. So it's and, and within that that's just one sentence to be fair. Um, but within that one sentence is a kind of a beginning and a middle and an end. So you've got you've got a setup at the beginning which is you know, when one of these characters does this thing, uh, this happens. And that is that is what launches you. You know that you're you're gonna start the episode in in the same way that you start most episodes. The world is always gonna be the same because that's the kind of foundations of, a, of an episode of television. You're gonna go into this world that you're recognized. Something is gonna happen which projects them into a problem. Um, so, so, Roly touches this cheese um, and suddenly they have to get him back and when he runs off they have to get him back and obviously i we're talking about seven minute episode of television so i don't have room for like five acts and, and acts with an axe like i'm talking about quite a quick story we've got to get through um so they're out they have to find him and when they find him that's how they that's how they're going to contain the outbreak and that's it and that's like so in order to in order to solve this problem they have to do this to do this and that's it And that's my springboard and then to flesh that out then i have to think about the mechanics of okay why is this cheese there in the first place how does he come to like how does this character come to touch it when he shouldn't um and how does he escape what what step do they go through to try and find him and then how do they eventually find him Like how do they resolve that problem in the end and within within dougie there are rules that will say okay so it always has to be those main characters, those kids who solve the problem. Ultimately, it can't be solved by someone else. It can't be solved by accident. It has to be them who find a way to fix that problem. Um, because that's, that's one of those elements we were talking about before in, in, in how to create drama and, and how to tell a good story, is that if your heroes don't save the day, if someone saves it for them, it's not as interesting, is it? It's not yeah. as it's not as fun. So, um, so yeah, so you have those kind of, you have those typical things that happen in most, in every episode and within that episode, there will be scenes that are essentially cut and paste from episode to episode, like a title sequence or an intro sequence or a scene at the end where they say goodbye. Every episode has those same scenes and I can just cut and paste those into a script, but everything else I then have to build around that initial frame. Um, and quite a lot of the time, the springboard that we have at the start of an episode we kind of lose it through the process, but it gets us going and that's what's important, right? It's, it's the first log on the fire and it just gets you going gotcha. um, and it gets, gets things burning. Um, so, yeah.
0: Sounds like a lot of problem solving. So, um, so, I'm in school right now and in my fourth year, I have to create a thesis film that should be about one minute. Um, I've been taking kind of notes of what you've been saying on things to nail. You mentioned the arc getting the stakes or raising the stakes, you gotta hit the world, the character. And you just mentioned a bunch of stuff in and uh, the story elements of the climax and stuff like that. What are what are like the essentials of creating a good story that I'm gonna have to write? Like what should I hit on to create a really good one minute or or seven minute or twenty
1: minute film? Um well I think I think I think I think you just you just covered it mostly. Okay, like, I think what's really, um, what's always really, really fundamental is like character is the first thing about any story. Um, You know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you're in the most elaborate, beautiful, well-imagined world. If the character who's in that environment doesn't want anything, um, isn't, isn't after anything, doesn't believe in anything, then then that character isn't an interesting character to follow through through a journey because there's nothing really that they're that that can get in their way because they don't they don't want anything so how can you take it away from them or how can you right. you know if they're not if they're not trying to achieve anything then they can't fail and that's not interesting um so so what's i what i always think is really really interesting about a character um is belief and i i I kind of come around to this and you'll see this a lot in kind of in animation and and in kids' television as well is that interesting characters are kind of fundamentalists in a way, they're kind of extremists. They believe something and they believe it to to be absolutely true. And if you can think of a character who believes something and almost cannot be convinced otherwise, whether it's I have to cross this bridge and nothing is gonna stop me it can be something as simple as that or you know I have to I have to get this this person to fall in love with me that's that's my whole life mission then you've got somebody who you can you can put stumbling blocks in their way whether they be physical stumbling blocks like actual things hurdles they have to get over or under or things like that or whether they're emotional barriers they have to they have to learn certain lessons or accept certain things about themselves um you have to put those things in their way so that they then have to, they have to strive and persevere to get through those, those obstacles. And they're going to get knocked back further and further each time until finally it looks like they've lost all hope altogether. And then that's when they're going to have the ultimate realization of how to either get what they want, or they're going to realize that the thing they wanted actually isn't that important and that they've changed in other ways. Um, And that fundamentally is what, Makes a good story is following those characters along, and the absolute—I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. The absolute masters of that kind of story are Pixar. Like, they are just—they—they just—they have a—they have a—a a, a formula where they every character think of of Woody and how much he believes in looking after Andy and sticking with Andy through every single film, and it doesn't matter what anybody says, and he somehow he can get into the same problem every single time but it's because he believes that what he's doing fundamentally and a hundred percent and he, nothing is going to stop him from doing that thing, getting back to Andy when he's stuck in a nursery and he'll leave all his friends behind. He doesn't care. Like he is going back. Um, And so I think that's fundamentally is what's really, really interesting. So finding, finding a character and finding what they, what they really, 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 really want. And then finding a way to essentially ramp up the stakes higher and higher and higher so that, it's harder and harder all the time and there's more and more at risk.
0: So I really like what you said. You, and, and you kind of, it sounds like you basically torture the character into thinking differently at the end of the day. How do you know when you've raised the stakes enough? Like when you've thrown enough stuff at the character for them to change, like how do you know you've hit the right point?
1: Uh, I mean, I think that, I think, i don't think there's any hard and fast rule to that i think that's something that that, that's a kind of instinct that you build over time um by like i said like reading you know read scripts read as many scripts as you can watch as many movies as you can and and you'll see it it'll 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 just kind of soak into you i think and you'll build a really good instinct for when for how for, for how to put characters through that there is always a stage where you think you think you've done enough, but actually there's one, there's another, there's another thing you could do to them. And that's always kind of the most satisfying one. I think um, there's always a little bit further. You can put you can push them anymore. And that's always quite a satisfying moment in a, in a story, I think. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, there's no, there's no easy guide to like, have you done this? You've done, you know, then, then stop. Like you just, sure. you kind of know, your character should, if your if your character is really nicely fleshed out and you've and you've done all the work in in thinking about that character at the start and knowing who they are, where they come from, you know what they what they like, what they don't like, what they're good at, what they're bad at. You'll that character will will start to come alive, and a good character will kind of make decisions for you almost along a script in the sense that they will they will, you'll be able to let them make decisions. And if you've set up your, your, your world and your hurdles, well, that character's actions will lead you to the next hurdle, will lead you to the next problem. um, And they will take you there themselves until it gets to a point where you think, Oh God, I've got to put this character out of his misery because this is just too much. Like there will come a stage where they basically, they, they, just, they have to give up, like they can't handle it anymore. <laughs> and that's, you know, yeah, that's,
0: Are there certain things that you make sure you include in every story you tell? Like, other than the character and the arc, are there certain elements where you're like, now the plot has to be taken here, or now, like, I don't know. Like, are there things that you just have a checklist for?
1: Uh, I mean, I do do tend to stick to a kind of a classic three-act structure, um, which, follows the the kind of format that i've just right. kind of drawn out so you, you you have a you have a setup at the beginning where you meet your character um and then they are essentially going to something that is going to happen to them in their world that is going to give them a goal so they have to then achieve something whether that's getting something back that they've lost, whether it's going after someone that they, that they want to chase down or uh, you know, all those myriad different kinds of stories, whether you're telling a a horror story, an action story, an adventure story, a a fantasy story that is uh, that early stage of the story is, is what we'd call an inciting incident a lot of the time. And that inciting incident gives that character a goal. And that's when you, that's when you, you move into your, into your kind of second act of your story where that your character is trying to achieve that goal and essentially it's that's when you get into the and then and then or rather the like but 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 so you're telling your story he tries to do this but this happens so he does this but this happens and so on and so forth that's kind of your second act and then it gets to a stage where your character has failed so much that they that it looks like the game is over and you know this is the kind of what some people would refer to it as a kind of moment of death where everything looks lost and you're pretty sure that that's you know it's not the end of the story because you know you've seen the story before and you know that they're not actually going you know the hero isn't gonna die like six minutes into a film um but that's your moment of death and that kind of signals when you go into when you go from kind of act two into act three and then that last act is about resolving that that issue so that that moment of death is normally very quickly followed by that moment of like realization that like epiphany where they realize oh my god like i've been thinking about this the wrong way all along or oh i've just twigged that the villain does this and i've got this thing in my bag that i could use you know one of those like classic like mcguffin type things um and then act three is the big fight the chase through the airport you know the 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 battle in space where he shoots down a chimney and blows up a giant planet. (laughs) That's Star Wars, right? (laughs) Um, And that's the resolution. And that's, and that's, and that tends to be how it works. And I think, I think obviously you, you, that's a structure that you can hang pretty much any job. And that's what you'll be taught. film most of the time that's what you'll read in pretty much every you know screenwriting manual um which i don't recommend necessarily going out and reading every screenwriting book like you can learn that just by watching films but yeah that's that those are the kind of beats that the that a traditional story tends to follow whether it's a seven minute episode of television or a two hour long feature film
0: um i think i have one more question about the story format and it's how do you make sure your ending is satisfactory like other than tying up the loose ends in the story arc,
1: uh, how, do I, how do I make sure it's satisfactory? Um, yeah. There are some shows that, is...
0: that I watch that I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's entertaining, but not, I, I, it was okay. And then there are other ones where I'm like, this was amazing. I can't stop thinking about it. You know, where, there's obviously a difference. Yeah. I don't necessarily know what it is.
1: No, I don't, and again, I don't think there's any magic formula to it. I think a lot of it. I think I think you've got if there are problems at the end of a film, it's normally because there are, it can normally be traced back to problems at the start, and it and it can normally be traced back to the fact that the the characters are too are maybe two dimensional instead of three dimensional, or they don't have enough depth, or they're doing things that you don't buy. You, do, you know, they're making decisions that you don't believe are very real. And that comes from. That's just that, that's that's the work. Like that's the work of a writer is to go through those scripts and when something isn't working, find where it's find why it's not working. Think about why it's not working or or why if an ending is falling flat because it's not dramatic enough, or well, maybe you haven't raised the stakes enough. Like maybe your character doesn't have enough on the line by the time you get to that resolution or that or that final that final battle. Like if you don't if you don't believe that one character would want to be with another character or you haven't you haven't done the work in kind of in building a character's emotional journey so that when they do fall in love with this character you absolutely believe it and you really 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 want them to to be with that other character you're not going to care about the, the airport chase at the end or you're not going to it doesn't matter how many fun little like um, setups you've got at the start that you can tie off in a nice, neat little bow at the end. If it falls flat, it falls flat because of character. It never falls flat because of like, because of uh, you know, a dodgy bit of plotting or this, that and the other. It almost always is because of character. I'm a bit of a like, I'm a bit of a character evangelist. Like I'm quite, I'm quite hardcore about it. That's funny. I do believe it. Very, very deeply. <laughs>
0: um, so I'm, I'm wondering, maybe we can talk a little bit more about the career aspects how do you make yourself invaluable as a writer like to make sure that hey Dougie keeps coming back to you with contracts and that other people are seeing your work
1: uh I mean fundamentally I'm gonna put I'm gonna put being a good writer like to one side like the actual craft of it obviously that's very very important but the chances are you won't get a job in the first place if you're not a good writer like I'm assuming that you've got that you've got the job because you because you have skill and talent that's great congratulations but the, the 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 kind of characteristics you need as a writer so i think build a career and keep working and keep, and keep having head writers and, and, and showrunners come back to you is you need to be receptive so you need to be good at taking notes and not be protective over your work like don't think that you are stanley kubrick when you're not like if if someone gives you a note saying this doesn't work most of the time there's a reason why it doesn't work and it may be technical it may be story-based but if you don't think it works ask them why or or if you think you can stand up for something stand up for it and and and, and be that but be prepared for them to say no really it doesn't work we need you to change it and then be okay with that um so be you know be a good i guess is <laughs> using the way that you are in that sense like be be receptive to notes and, and learn how to do that be be a, be a nice person. Do you know what I mean? Like fundamentally, yeah. it comes down to like be the person, be the person that you would like to share an office with. Like, like somebody who doesn't moan about stuff not going their way all the time. Don't don't get pissy. But you, you didn't get what you think you're owed. Like be impatient. Be be flexible. Be polite. Um, be kind and generous. You know, be a, be a good egg is my is my main my main headline.
0: I like your answer. This question was actually a test um, because I, I ask it to pretty much everybody that I have on my podcast because it really dispels the myth that I used to believe that in order to be successful in a career, my skills was going to project me forward forever. But it's almost like there's a bar of skill that you need to pass, and then you also need all these people skills and relationships and all this other stuff and a humble attitude and open to feedback that people don't really talk about too much. If you're not in the industry, if you're just, you know, on the outside looking in. So um, I am wondering, and maybe uh, I don't know if you can answer this, but how would you move into a head writer position? Do you have to become a showrunner?
1: No, you don't. No, there's lots of writers who who don't Run shows and don't head write shows. Um, it's a very different skill. I think being a being a head writer is um, is essentially more like a management role. You might you might write a few scripts yourself, but your job is ostensibly to manage other writers. Um, and some people aren't aren't cut out for that. They don't want to do that job. Some people want to write. They want to be creative. They want to be the person uh, getting notes and solving those problems. Like you said before, it's a, it's a lot of the time it's a problem solving task. Um, some people are very, very, very good headwriters because they are very, very astute um, judges of character. They understand the people around them and they know how to get the best out of people. Um, some people are bad headwriters because they aren't very good at judging character. They maybe aren't very good at giving notes back or they are, aren't are very good at communicating what they want in a way that is easy to understand. Um if you want to if you want to take the leap from being a, a writer of a hire or a staff writer up to being a, a showrunner or a head writer, you're going to need a, a good chunk of experience. Like no one's going to no one's going to give you that job unless you've written a, a lot of scripts. Because why would they? Like why why would they hire somebody who is inexperienced to essentially oversee the scripts on an entire series of a show that is costs an awful lot of money to make. Um, so they're going to give it to someone with a lot of experience. Um, so a lot, it just takes time. And you need, and you need to let people know. Like it's, again, it's important to, like, don't assume that someone is going to come to you and say, would you like to be a head writer? Let people know that that's what you want to do. When someone says to you, or they don't even have to say it to you. If you're working on a show or you're working with a producer that you like, you think you've got a good amount of experience um, and you think you've got the ability and the skill to do that job, say to someone. Say, look, if you're ever looking for a head writer on another show, I'd really like to do this. Or say to a head writer, I, "Can I shadow you for a bit? Can I just ask you about this? See how it goes." Like that's that's really important, and that's and and that's how you learn, right? You learn from from watching other people work and asking them the important questions, and and you know, doing doing that that work. Um, that I don't think I think sometimes a lot of people aren't aren't patient and and want to rush into basically getting the top job when they just haven't done the haven't done the work and haven't learned the, haven't learned the skills and the craft at the start.
0: That makes sense. I'm thinking, um, what if I'm starting out fresh? What is something that you would recommend that I do right now to try to become, or get into writing for kids TV specifically?
1: For Kids TV. Um, what I watch kids TV, uh, know what's, know what's being made, like look around and see what, Cartoon Network are making what Disney are making what Nickelodeon or I mean if you're in the UK you've got you've got the BBC that's where pretty much the bulk of shows aim to be because they are a massive broadcaster and it's a really great you know it's a really heritage brand um, but we also we also have Disney and Disney XD and everything like that so you can you can see what's being made on those different channels you can see how shows change when they're aimed at different audiences. So you can see what a preschool show looks like and and feels like compared to a show that's aimed at, say, like five to eights or six to 10s. You can see what's different between an action show and a comedy show. So say like The World of Gumball is very, very different to, say, um, Transformers or Thunderbirds. Like. They are very, very different shows. They have a very different sensibility. They have a very different uh, tone to them. And so you need to do that research and find out um, and, and see how they're different. And at the same time, if you can, if you can find scripts for animated kids shows online, which you, you can in the UK, the, there's a uh, the BBC Writers' Room is really, really helpful. They have a bank of scripts on there oh. that are um, that are from their shows, and they have. They have loads of really, really good scripts by really, really good writers on there. That's a really, really good resource, the Writers Room. And I th- obviously, you can you can get those scripts if you're in the if you're in the US as well. Um, they have scripts for TV drama as well. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It's a really, really good resource. But if you can find those scripts and even even reading things like pitch bibles, I've got the I found the pitch bible for Adventure Time and um, Over the Garden Wall and things like that online because yeah. I'm just fascinated to see how they started and how those characters, how those characters are described by the people who made that show. Um, and it's a really fascinating insight and you can see just the, 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 the quality of the writing and the quality of the characterization of them, it goes back a long, long way. It like, doesn't happen by accident
0: Yeah. Totally. I mean, maybe this has the same answer, but I'm thinking from like, an, if I want to become a storyboard artist or uh, like a showrunner or just direct work in general, and I'm not going to become a professional writer, um, it sounds like your answer is just going to be like study all these things. But what are some things that I can do right now to start developing those skills and that judgment?
1: Well, I think an, I think another thing you can do on top of um, on top of reading and, and, and watching is to is to do what we talked about before and just and, and, and reach out to people and see if see if there are ways of learning that. That you can do you people you can you can get access to that you can ask questions i think i think fundamentally and this is another thing i would add to to what makes a good writer curiosity is so important to keep wanting to learn and keep keep recognizing that you there is always something more you can learn it doesn't matter if you are if you've been a, a storyboard artist for a year or 15 years you can still learn something from somebody whether that's somebody younger than you, who's got a fresh eye, who's doing things that you haven't done before, or whether it's someone senior to you who's got more experience than you, um, who maybe knows like tips and tricks and can, you know, who, who knows routines that can, that can make your work better. Like if you, can, if you can find people who are good at what they do, um, be a good person and, and try and build relationships with those people. You can you can learn immense amounts of stuff because people are generous in animation. People are really really generous and they always want to help and they always want to share things. Um, so go on Twitter and go on LinkedIn if you can bear it. I mean it's, it's a horrible place, but like it can be helpful sometimes. Yeah, um, that's where we met, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, right? That's that's it, it. Does it does help? Like from a pure networking point of view, LinkedIn is fine. But from like a from like a visual and kind of inspiration point of view, Twitter is amazing. The amount of people on there who are posting their work. Who are writing about their process? Who are who are open? Who are doing like Q and A's online all the time? Go and find those people. Go and go and find those people who are doing you know and ask them questions and say like, I love your work. Could you, you know, I'm just starting out. Have you got any tips about? i or I'm struggling with this. I think it's always good to be quite specific and say, I want to I want to be this kind of artist or I want to be this kind of writer. I'm, I'm trying to write a short film. It's a it's this kind of genre. I'm getting stuck here or I'm getting stuck with character. Like, do you have any tips of how, to, of how to really flesh out my character? And people will help you. It's not hard, it doesn't take them long and they will be generous about it. As long as you're not like, hey, you owe me, tell me this thing, yeah. they're not, maybe they'll, then they'll tell I you. I follow you, but, so you owe yeah, me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah,
0: no, I think I think um, that's great advice. I was actually yeah, gonna- I ask
1: hope you. that, I hope that's-
0: Yeah. yeah. I was gonna ask you about the social media thing because, like, as an animator, it's very easy for me—well, not easy, but I, I would assume easier—to get attention online for posting an animation because it's highly visual. Versus if I'm writing and I post a script on my Instagram, <laughs> I don't know if anybody would—you know—it's it, not—it's not going to get the same no, attention.
1: It's, it's not easy. It's like, as a writer, you're not gonna—you're not gonna be out there posting. You know posting pages of of screenplays i've seen odd writers do it and it's really not doesn't really have any impact it's not it's not a visual medium
0: so it's more um, about connecting than actually putting your work out yeah it
1: is. Well, i mean you know but twitter is great because it's you can showcase it's, if you're a comedy writer twitter's brilliant right you can you can showcase your your talents as a joke writer on twitter right. there and all the time 10 times a day if you want to you know you can you can write jokes and you can and you can throw them out you can respond to to things that are happening culturally you can you can write jokes about hashtags that are trending you know you can show your talent and your ability to to build a platform of 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 humor and and show that you're funny and show how you can connect with people and you can get involved with conversations that other people are having and talk about shows that you think are cool and why you think they're cool and you can you can demonstrate your understanding of an industry. A lot of people, a lot of writers I really admire talk to each other about why, like why certain stories or certain films, why they think they work. And and what I admire when I admire them, it's because they're able to talk about it openly and be open to other people saying, Oh, I disagree. I actually think that this really worked or that really worked. People who are like, This sucks and i and i don't care if anyone disagrees with me i'm like okay maybe not you but the people who are there saying i thought this was great and i really connected with this character and this is why or you know i wasn't didn't that episode have a really cool story and didn't it go on a funny arc or it like it did use this really nice device in the middle and that gets people talking and if you're if you're a young writer that's free for you to do you can go out there and you can you can show people that you love animation and you love writing and and that you know what you're talking about even if even if it's early on, again, like be humble. Don't think you know everything, but show people that you're enthusiastic and you're willing, and, and and use your use your use your bio at the top to tell people that you're a writer. Don't be afraid to say I'm a writer at the top. Um, don't don't be afraid to say that, and don't be afraid to 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 reach out to other writers and say, hey, can I can I read your work? Do you want to read my work? Whatever, like, have a go. Like, there's nothing bad.
0: I would have never thought of twitter as like a really great way to connect with other writers i think that's great um i have one more question uh is writing for dougie a full-time job for you is it like a full-time thing or are you taking contracts and things from all around the place or
1: it is not a full-time job um i think in the uk writing writing for kids tv writing animation it's it's actually quite hard to turn it into a full-time job because of how infrequent the work is sometimes, um, how, how long you can go without, you know, how, how it comes in. It comes in kind of droughts and floods. Like sometimes you'll have no work for four months and then suddenly you're working on three episodes at once. But, the, you know, one of those episodes you might not be getting paid for right away and this, that and the other. It's a very, um, yeah, it's a very... Um, Unpredictable business, and that's fine. That's kind of just the nature of the, the nature of the industry. So, a lot of writers, apart from the very established people who are on, you know, who are kind of constantly working, or if you're head writing a show, you're on a contract for a long time. So, you're that's a full time job. If you're a head writer or a showrunner, that's a full time job. If you're if you're a freelance writer and you're just writing writing on an episode by episode basis, a lot of people do do work outside of that. So, I write for I write copy for ad agencies as well. Um, so I write you know, headlines and log lines. I write copy for people's websites. I write stories about things that are interesting to people who are like members of certain organizations, charities and um, you know heritage trusts and wildlife organizations and people like that. I write for like museums and I, t- I, t- I tend to, I've managed now to niche down so that I'm writing things that are aimed at kids pretty much all the time. Which is really cool because that took me a long time to to get to that stage where I was like, I write for kids, and people say, Well, oh yeah, you do. Okay, we'll hire you for that. Um, so just the other day, I was writing. I was actually writing. Uh, I was writing tweets for the social media feed for a show that's just live on the BBC, a kids show, which is really weird. <laughs> like a show that I could ostensibly be writing episodes for and write tweets to promote it instead. And I, and I don't mind that at all. I feel like it's all part and parcel of the same ecosystem. And if I'm writing cute jokes about a character on Twitter and maybe not on the show, then I don't mind. Like it's fine.
0: I had no idea Twitter or people were hiring writers to write their tweets. I thought it was like social media managers just like sitting in an office. I don't know.
1: It's well, like, I think it is. I think they were just like I think it was just because I'd met one of them at a conference, and she was like, "Oh, I run a, you know, I run a uh, essentially a media agency for for um, children's brands." And I was like, "Oh, cool! I, I write copy as well as scripts." She was like, "Oh, cool! You know, we did a lot yeah. of that back." Then. Um, yeah. And then six, seven months down the line, there you go. Like, we need. Do you do, you do this stuff? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure." And he's networking once again. <laughs> yeah you've got to network you got to get out there shake people's hands don't shake people's hands but you know oh. elbow bump and uh um, nod at them across the roof
0: well is there anything else you'd like to share james
1: um no just <laughs> like i really love your podcast and um, like, i'm i'm really glad you have it's been a pleasure talking about writing for two hours i don't get to do it very often it's well, really cool I'm,
0: i uh I'm a big fan of writing as well. I like to write. <laughs> but this has been yeah, great for me to just listen. It, right? I don't know if you heard me typing, but I was like taking notes on some of the things you were saying cuz um, I also want to get into well, I mean animation and I want to direct my own stuff and become a showrunner and this is all very important stuff for me to try to own over the next couple of years. So Yeah man, yeah. I,
1: I think it's, I think it's important. I think I think animators Really benefit from learning how to write, and I think writers who want to write for animation would really learn. Would really benefit from understanding animation at the same time. It, it, it's. I think it's a. It, there's a crossover, and you, you know, you should.
0: You didn't say understand. writers would benefit from learning how to animate, though. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did say that. I say that. <laughs> learning about learning about animation and the process. I would love to learn how to animate. That's oh, just, oh man, that's time I don't have.
0: Well, I can uh, can teach you, I guess, in exchange for you write yeah. the uh, first series of yeah. My
1: yeah. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, James, for coming on the podcast. I'm really happy uh, to have had you.
1: Thank you.
0: Excellent. And if you're interested in following James or getting in touch with him, you can do so by going over to Twitter and looking him up. And his handle is at Walsh P. James. And I'll include that link in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.